Good morning, and welcome to this edition of Advice Worth Keeping, KPMG's podcast series where we interview firm executives and thought leaders, as well as third-party industry luminaries and experts on important global business trends, topics, and leading practices. My name is Stan LaPique, and I lead global research for KPMG's Management Consulting Services Group. So welcome to the second part of this podcast series on trends in real estate and facilities management outsourcing. My name is Stan LaPique, but I'm joined by our local domain experts, Patrice Gilles, Douglas Burr, and Clinton Fairbanks, all from the U.S. practice, to talk in more depth about some of the details of what we've learned from this year's study on REFM outsourcing. So in the first podcast, we heard about some of the bigger trends. In the second one, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into some of the nuances of what's going on, particularly down to the level of different aspects of REFM outsourcing. So as we highlighted in the first podcast, there is an associated presentation that goes with this where you can look at some nice pictures and look at some facts and figures. You can access that off of the KPMG advice we're keeping outsourcing site where you may have accessed this podcast. And if you got to this podcast through other means of RSS or social media, check out Advice Worth Keeping, and that's where you will uh, find a link to not only the presentation of the survey results, but also other materials related to this topic. So let's take it away with part two of this podcast series. Looking on to the next slide in the deck for those who have it, we start to look at different trending by sector. And Doug and Patrice and Clinton, you've already addressed this, but see there's meaningful differences in demand for these services across sectors, or is it more so a function of the activities being performed that's really driving the use of third-party services? I really think it's the activities that are being done that are driving the services. Since the inception of these Pulse surveys, we have seen that the top three industries that are driving demand have been banking, healthcare, and pharma and biotech. And one of the reasons why that is is that these three industries typically have a lot of real estate to manage. It just makes sense to be a pioneer in this area. One of the things that we're starting to see is that manufacturing, high-tech, they're also starting to look into this as well. And we've also seen a significant increase in the demand coming from government education and nonprofits. That was up by last year by over 10%. So we are seeing that other areas that have been either risk-averse or have felt that the manufacturing sector, there wasn't the capabilities or they couldn't justify outsourcing. We're seeing they're now looking to this as well. But Again, we're still seeing banking, healthcare, pharma leading this just because of the number of facilities that they do have. I'm very interested about the public sector, given that at least within the U.S., the public sector is not financially sound. Do you see that there's a significant opportunity for uptake in those areas, or do you see that the complexities of looking at outsourcing public sector activities are going to grind against the need to reduce the cost of doing those efforts? I would think it would be an area ripe for huge demand, but I know there's huge complexities with dealing with that market sector. Some of the complexities would have to be with local government purchasing policies or their procurement. Perhaps they need to make sure that they have a certain number of local suppliers. So with education, you're also looking at a lot of the education or universities within the state systems. So they also have to follow the government guidelines. But 
as government budgets are becoming more and more slim, or as I would want to say, they're decreasing significantly, I think this is where there is opportunity for government. For example, let's take a Department of Transportation. They have multiple facilities throughout an entire state, and typically those areas have not been able to really bring in the best practices that they would need. So it is to their advantage to start looking to the suppliers who have developed these skills. And if there are requirements that they have to have a certain number of local providers, the REFM providers are very comfortable with this because they also deal with certain company policies. That's good. So it sounds like the supply side is in place if the demand side needs to move forward. So just to continue on that, so we've talked about different trending relative to sectors and industries. What are you seeing in terms of individual areas of REFM? For those of you following along on slide number 18, within REFM as the holistic set of activities, where are you seeing, Clinton, some of the biggest demand areas from an activity standpoint? This year, interestingly enough, the one area that is leading the demand is the REFM IT systems and reporting. So there are two things that indicate why this is. is One, the REFM suppliers have heavily invested into very comprehensive, very high-tech systems that are really able to give real-time reporting. They're able to do predictive analytics. And as the buyers are looking, they now are understanding the power of the data in their hand. And so they're using this to leverage their ability to develop their preventative maintenance schedules. And so that's where we see that REFM IT systems are leading it. Other areas that are similarly the same, the facility management, this one's leading this year. And this facility management, just for clarification, this is the actual overall management of the facility services. This is the workplace services, the property management. We're seeing that buyers are actually starting to give more of a strategic and more of a high-level management role over to the REFM suppliers as well, because as they now are building these relationships of trust and the years that they've had with experience, they are now understanding that the REFM service providers really do have the capability to be a strategic partner. Do you think from the perspective of the end user organization, they're getting more comfortable with the fact that the provider can be a strategic partner, or is there still some hesitancy along those points. I get what you're saying in terms of the capabilities of the provider, but are buyers buying into this? You know, I want to say on an overall, there's always going to be certain buyers that are hesitant, and it all depends on how the relationship started and how the relationship during the first five years of the first contract went. But what we're seeing is that because a lot of the buyers are now moving into their second and third generation contract, and in many cases, they're actually retaining their current supplier, we're seeing that they do have a high level of confidence. And so they're actually also, as they're getting this level of confidence, we're seeing them actually put more strategic scope into here. For example, we're also seeing that a good demand in portfolio strategy and planning space management. This is new scope that up till now wasn't as considered something that the buyers would want to put into scope, but we're seeing that the buyers are now driving this. I really do believe it's because the suppliers have really proven their capabilities. I think most companies recognize by now that the real estate and facility management services are not their core process. 
it's not their core business, and this industry has been around a while. And so if you're a leader of corporate real estate in, in a Fortune 500 or Fortune 100 company, if you haven't outsourced a, a good percentage of your services, you're going to get questions from CFOs, occasionally from CEOs, on why haven't you done that? Because they've seen it in other companies, and just by reference, they know it happens in the industry, and it's a way to save money. Sounds like it's the norm. It's just making sure you do it well, not whether or not you do it or not. Okay. Yes. Maybe then just briefly, if we could touch on what is slide number 20, Clinton, why don't firms do this? I think Doug pretty much succinctly said you should be doing it or you're going to get some questions. But where do you see pushback from organizations as to why they still try to keep some of these activities managed internally? Well, one of the areas that we continue to see, and this has been through past surveys as well, is that we're really seeing a lot of the buyers coming out and saying that there really is no compelling business case to change. A lot of this has to do with you know, um, organizational dynamics. Procurement department may not have this on their radar. And as Doug mentioned, sooner or later, they're going to probably be asked the question, why haven't they done this? But up until now, they really probably haven't brought on the right type of advisors to come in and really set up a true business case that would actually give them the reason for the change. If you think through it thoughtfully, you're going to come up with a pretty good business case. The question we asked actually was, why have some REFM processes not be outsourced? I think you would have to say in the industry, many or most have been, but there are some that not outsourced like lease administration for smaller, lower term portfolios or other high risk areas. And there are specific reasons why you wouldn't outsource some of the processes, but in general, it's expected you would outsource something in REFM. Sounds like it goes back to similar to what we're seeing with process automation, which is there are certain activities you would want to automate, but certain things you don't. And then there are other things that are clearly advisable for automation. And you know, Stan, there's two things that are really interesting on this year's results. One is, Doug mentioned, why have some REFM process not been outsourced? This is the, one of the first times that we've actually seen loyalty to staff as a reason. People aspect, and interestingly, as we're going in looking into the second and third generation contracts, we are starting to see more of a focus on the buyer making sure that the service provider is actually bringing on the right staff. So there is more of a focus on the people. But an interesting change to this was in the past, we have seen that activities are too strategic in nature to outsource. Two years ago, 60% of the buyers actually said that this was activities that are too strategic. In comparison, we're less than 30% this year. So we're seeing that the buyers are recognizing the abilities of the service providers and to be a strategic partner. The European aspect of things is not necessarily that they're loyal to the staff. It's just that the regulations, the rules, the laws make it more difficult to, or more costly to outsource at first because of the severance, uh, frankly, that, that has to be paid to, uh, to that staff. So it's not always a question of loyalty. It's also a question of cost. So when you're looking at a process like REFM that is generally quite contained in a company and not really open, it's not like finance or procurement that everybody knows exists and everybody touches. Sometimes 
you have the cost does not justify it. And maybe that gets translated to a loyalty to staff. I don't know within the answer if that's the reason or not. But that's more of the issue in Europe than a question of true loyalty because I really, really, really like Doug or I really like Clinton and they vacuum my carpet so well that I'm going to keep them. I'm not sure that that's Thank you for highlighting the differences in different markets. I think that's very important to consider. Going back to our agenda, we have some different information here around different attributes of REFM outsourcing deals. So, Doug, we can talk about deal tenure, talk about pricing models. Do you want to Doug, give just some highlights of what you're seeing relative to the nature of the deals? So when organizations do do outsourcing, what are the nature of the deals and what's been changing or not over the past couple of years? When you're looking at deal tenure, there's three factors that influence how long the contract is. And one is how much change or the appetite for locking themselves into a deal does a client have? Then there's transition costs. How long does it take to pay those back and amortize those costs? The third one is the time it takes for a service provider that comes in to optimize the services. And it generally takes about three to four years to understand the client situation to optimize the service. You know, with those three factors, it's been pushing the market to make the deals longer. Five or six years ago, we saw a few one- to two-year deals and a few three-year deals, but we're seeing many more five-year deals, which is becoming, I would say, the industry standard. And then some companies think that you know they look at it as longer than a five-year deal because really they're getting a five-year plus options to renew. So you can look at it either way. But the, the deal tenure is generally around five years. Isn't it true also that as we get to the second and the third generation contracts, the confidence in the service provider is there and companies don't want to renegotiate their contract every two years? I think that's exactly right. They're confident in the fact the services are already outsourced. doesn't matter which outsourced provider they use and they are willing to extend it. The ones that were first generation, they were just scared to get into it. Yeah, they were testing the water, mm-hmm. hence the one to two year kind of a contract. With the deal tenures themselves, as they as you go into the second and third, the contracts become more and more bundled as to first year you're seeing typically workplace services being outsourced first. But as they warmed up the water and they understand the capabilities, by the by the third generation contract, they've pretty much outsourced all their strategic activities as well. I understand what you are collectively saying relative to the tenure and the need to drive longer terms. But what would your advice be to a user organization? Should you step up and say we should go to the longer term because that's going to maximize overall what we're getting out of it? Or should you push back a little bit? What should the user do? I would recommend, you know, depending on the client situation, you know, three to five years is about the right time, usually about five years. You're going to pay off your transaction costs, transition costs, and the effort client went into outsourcing. The service provider is going to have squeezed most or all of the savings out and optimized really as much as they're going to get. After five years, sometimes there's procurement policies. You have to retender certain contracts. But just as important, it's good to refresh the agreement. Even if you stay with a service provider, things can go stale after five years. And if you refresh and come in, take a new look or switch to a different provider, that's about the time where things do get stale. I think that's good advice. Well, this has been a great session. 
And I would like to just go around the horn. What's the most interesting thing we should hope to see or expect to see or respond to in the world of real estate and facilities management, outsourcing or otherwise, in the next 24 months? It's a slow improvement area. And so I think as far as deals are going to improve slowly and expand, just like we've said, I think the disruptors are going to come from outside of the service provider area. It's going to be self-driving cars. It's going to be AI on how they manage their buildings, e-learning prediction. The providers will adopt it or adapt to it when it happens. But I think the disruptors in corporate real estate are going to come from outside of the market. I think that the OEFM market is going to stay with the service providers that exist today. Maybe we'll see one or two specialty come on the market, but I think that the pipeline is going to grow. But I also believe that the cost pressure is going to be higher than it was in the past. We've seen it in other areas of global business services, and I think that this area of OEFM is not going to escape that cost pressure. So, Quinn, what's your take? I think that within the next two years, we're going to see a significant change in the supplier base. A lot of this has to do, up till now, many of the suppliers have been North American or Western European based. But as REFM continues to expand throughout the globe, more towards Eastern Europe, and as it's the capabilities of suppliers in Asia Pacific are increasing, I do see that we're going to probably see a few new key players in the market. My guess is that we'll see some stronger players coming out of Europe, and I see maybe at least one or two suppliers coming out of Asia Pacific. So we're looking at traditional competitors getting stronger and market consolidation, which is great. So thank you all for joining these two podcasts. If you missed part one, you can get it where you found part two. Certainly take a look at the presentation materials as well as the links to other KPMG assets around the topics of real estate and facilities management in general, but also REFM outsourcing in particular. I want to certainly thank Patrice, Doug, and Clinton for their support in this research effort, but also in putting together this podcast series. So thanks, everybody. And you can find the links to the items you referenced in the show today below the podcast. If you're online, of course, the URL for that is kpmg.com slash US slash podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for your participation.